This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. 2021, when historians look back on it, there's obviously going to be significant attention placed on the idea of recovering from the height of the pandemic, obviously in a societal sense and a healthcare sense and in an economic sense, that'll be front and center as well as changes in the political landscape of the country and other global conversations. But right there, almost as like a 1B in a lot of ways, will be significant advances in commercial space and in space in general. And joining us today on the podcast for the second time is one of the top space journalists in the country, Bob Zimmerman of the website Behind the Black. So welcoming Bob back onto the show to break down, you know, everything from Blue Origin, you know, you think about William Shatner and commercial space travel and so on and so forth, but also small satellites and just significant changes that are manifesting themselves either here in 2021 or are really teed up for a massive shift in the coming decades. This is an area that I love to get into um, from time to time. It's something I'm personally deeply fascinated by, just space exploration and science in general. But we find ourselves in a moment where, unquestionably, um, at, at, we, we talk about the metaverse and what Facebook or, pardon me, meta is doing and all that. There's significant changes right here in terms of the digital sphere. But in parallel with that, and perhaps not as often noted in terms of seismic shifts in human history, there are massive changes taking place and massive advancements largely based on a competitive marketplace and partnerships with members, participants in that marketplace and various governmental leaders, if you will, um, that are taking place in space, commercial space, and again, just science and, and everything surrounding that topic in general. So great to have Bob back on the show. Remember, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Bill Bartholomew, and go ahead and join that Bartholomew Town Podcast Facebook group, and please follow, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening right now. If you want to go a step further, for just $3 a month, you can become a B-Town Insider. Head to patreon.com slash Town or just click the support link wherever you're listening right now. All right, so 2021, as I alluded to in the the open of the show, obviously we're going to look back on this, or historians will look back on it as a significant year in terms of the recovery from the height of the pandemic, in terms of you know everything from the economic impact, obviously the health impact, so on and so forth. That'll be, in many ways, the driving story, political changes, will also be there. But frankly, this is a year that significant developments have happened and not only developments in, in in terms of what we witnessed this year, but in terms of where we're going in commercial space and space in general. So Bob, thanks so much for hopping back on with us here to kind of break all of this down. It's, it's my pleasure. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, it's been a very significant, uh, it's actually been an amazingly significant year in space exploration and the future of uh, the human race in uh, extending itself beyond Earth, uh, despite all the other craziness that's been going on. That's right. And, I mean, look, the, the headline grabber will be, and, and perhaps intentionally so, in, on the part of um, the various quote-unquote entrepreneurs, if you will, that are behind some of the commercial space flight um, major firms, so to speak. The headline grabber will be Blue Origin. It'll be William Shatner. It'll be the notion of commercial space travel from really a touristic standpoint 
um, a recreational standpoint. How much of that is an accurate perception of the general um, activity that's taken place in commercial space this year is the notion of bringing humans into low orbit and, and, and frankly, even though it's extremely expensive, making that a viable thing that at one point in recent times seemed like it may have been so far off. Is that the major story of this year, or is that just the thing that is the headline grabber? The headline grabber. In fact, you've got to remember, Blue Origins uh, sat in a flight, didn't go into orbit, and they don't have the capability of putting a person in orbit. It is an aspect. People like a lot of the mainstream press and uh, the discussions about Blue Origins suborbital flights and Virgin Galactic suborbital flights, and also um, SpaceX's orbital tourist flight, they tend to focus on the, quote, tourism and that billionaires are paying for it. But what really is the story is that it is entirely private. Mm. It entire, it's entirely privately funded, privately launched, privately built, and privately uh, financed uh, by people who are just choosing freely to do it. And that is the real story, because that, I just, with that description I just gave you is the essential description of all American business everywhere since the day the country was founded. It is people who design a product, a build-a-better mousetrap, that somebody else wants and has a need for and chooses to buy. So that's the real story. It, some people want to go up as tourists. Some people want to do it um, uh, to raise money for charity, which is partly the reason the SpaceX Inspiration4 tourism flight happens in September. And some people want to do it just for their own ego, that, like Jeff Bezos and Ber- Richard Branson. That's also legitimate. Um, but it's private, and no one is being forced to pay a dime if they don't wish to. Um, and that's the real story. And more to that, in line with why this is the basis of America from day one, um, it's for profit. And it means if it's for profit, the people who design and build and launch the spacecraft are making money, which means they're, they're ahead of the curve after doing it. They're not behind the curve like a government program where you actually spent money and gotten nothing for it. This is a case where they built something, launched it, sold it, and are out ahead and have more money to work with later to do even more spectacular things. And, and I can use SpaceX as a great example of that because they start out with their Falcon 9 rocket and Dragon capsule, which they're making money selling to customers, not just NASA, uh, but to commercial satellite companies and to uh, uh, private citizens who want to fly in space. But on top of that, they then take the earnings from that and they develop the Falcon Heavy rocket, which now has upcoming next year is going to launch, uh, if everything goes right, five times because they've got customers. And on top of that, they earn enough money and they prove the company good enough that they've raised $6 billion of investment capital and they're building a heavy lift, reusable rocket um, for people bringing large payloads into orbit and to the moon and beyond. This, that's the Starship Super Heavy. No government money involved. And, and, that- uh, and, so, and it's all from profit. So that's the, that's the real story of what's going on in space right now. And it's one of the reasons, Bill, that 
uh, we're seeing such a uh, renaissance in the last year or so because we finally completed the transition over the last decade from a government-run space program to a private-run space industry. And once profit is involved, people recognize profit costs come down, more customers arrive, more investment capital shows up, you get many more projects, you get a lot more things going on, and now it's almost as hard to keep track of the number of things that are taking place. Yeah, and that's the major shift, is, is moving away from the notion of NASA and whatever percentage of the broader federal budget they have available to them to develop either in a an exploration capacity, a military capacity, um, whatever. It, the, the introduction of a full-fledged competitive private sector in this area has driven the narrative and has driven the, the um, I guess, what you would describe as the authentic marketplace for space that is um, advancing us in terms of a timetable much quicker than anything that we've seen from NASA in recent years. Yeah, I mean, I can I can tell you that, like, I report, you know, news, uh, space news items regularly on my website, Behind the Black. And what I do, one of the things I do is I, I uh, note every launch that goes on and then keep track of who's, who's launching what and which nations or companies are dominating the yearly uh, race to see who will get the most rockets into, uh, sorry, satellites into orbit. And uh, what's most interesting is the steady rise in the number of launches over the last decade or so. And that is because of uh, uh, the shift from government to private and, co- and the shift also from international cooperation to competition, peaceful competition in space, but competition, because everybody's got it once they're sharing the boat and they're not sharing and there's no more negotiations to kind of work out something where everyone's happy. Instead, people follow their own, nations follow their own uh, goals and dreams and therefore have uh, incentive to succeed and uh, there's less interference with what they want to accomplish. So, you know, for example, right now, or at least, uh, uh, you know, in the beginning of November, we've already got 100 launches that have taken place this year, which has been the case now increasingly in the last four years. But you'd have to go back, you'd have to go back uh, to the, uh, uh, what do you call to the to the 60s, the 1960s and 70s, to get this kind of routine pace and launches. And what's different between then and now is that then the numbers were driven mostly by Russia, Soviet-era uh, extraneous launches that they did because it was their government way of doing things, and there was no reason for them to do it. They couldn't afford to do it. Um, now it's all private or commercially uh, based in some manner or another. There are government projects as well involved, but once again, they're structured to be feeding the engine of private enterprise rather than just simply a government quote program. And oftentimes NASA will literally rent a seat on one of these private sector rockets and and it creates... There's no often about it. I have, I'm sorry to interrupt, but there's no often about it. Nowadays NASA builds no spacecraft uh, to get people up and down. Really, it doesn't. It's got an Orion capsule on an SLS rocket, but... They don't depend on that, and it's, we shouldn't either because it's too expensive and it's really not going to go very far. When they want to get a human being into space, they hire a private company to do it. Right now at SpaceX, they're trying to get to a point where Boeing can launch its Starliner capsule, and that will also provide a human capability into space. And hopefully this will be followed by other companies as well, uh, including Sierra Space with its Dream Chaser and others down the road. We can hope for that. And I think the competition and the lowering of costs was going to encourage that over time. When we think about 
commercial space, we'd be remiss to not include small satellites and or small sat as it's it's referred yeah. to. And there's this notion of creating a whether you're talking about from a cellular phone standpoint, perhaps an internet standpoint, just a communication standpoint an entirely new network. Some are concerned that the inundation of small sats into lower orbit will eventually create a, a space junk problem. Uh, somebody even told me recently that they're worried about their grandchildren's view of the night sky being obscured. Are we at the point where that's a legitimate concern? And how realistic is it that we could be connected from a communication standpoint by the influx of small sats that are making their way into space right now? Well, let's first talk about the reality of such a thing. Um, uh, that right now there are, let me see now, SpaceX is uh, Starlink. You've got uh, OneWeb's constellation. Uh, you have Amazon proposing its Kuiper constellation of thousands of satellites. You've got a Chinese proposing a, a 10,000 satellite constellation. Uh, there is a Japanese company proposing another American company, Astra's proposing a 13,000 uh, satellite constellation. Uh, and I'm not listing them all. I, it's hard to keep track of all the number of proposed uh, internet or communications constellation of satellites that are being proposed. The proof here is that every one of those operate, those companies or proposals is being made because there's, uh, there's strong capital investment eager to put money behind it. And the reason there's strong investment capital interest is because there's money to be made on this kind of technology. It's very clearly uh, great deals of money. And SpaceX, which is the one in the lead right now, it's already operational in rural areas in northern latitudes. It's already operational and people, customers are getting the service. That's It's the case. And they, they, their potential for making billions as a worldwide provider of Internet service is 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 solid as a rock. There's no doubt that's the case, and that's why OneWeb's doing the same thing, and they're also becoming operational now. And that's why the other proposals are being made and uh, are going to be seen launched in a few years. So that's the first thing. It's definitely viable. And there's no question. It's where it's a, it's it, it, there's reality there, and there, it's it's going. It, people believe it's going to work, and they have we have evidence to show that it is. Now, the, the other issue is the satellites in orbit. Well, yeah, the, 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 someone complaining that their children won't be able to see the night sky is kind of disingenuous because if you live in an urban area, which most people do, you haven't been able to see the night sky as it really is now for better than a century. And to say that your children won't be able to see a night sky because of these satellites is dishonest, intellectually dishonest. It's the case now. Um, well, one of the other complaints is these satellites might make it difficult for astronomy to take place on Earth. And you know what? That's maybe true. But astronomers should stop whining about that because they shouldn't be trying to do their astronomy on Earth anymore. The time has long passed for astronomers to take their telescopes into space where there's no atmosphere and they can see the heavens sharply and they don't have this problem. And Hubble, the space, Hubble Space Telescope proved that 25, 30 years ago. And they haven't made any move to shift their, their, their optical uh, astronomy from the Earth to space in all those years. So them to complain now about this is also dis intellectually dishonest. They really have to move their operations above the problem. 
because that will be a win-win for them, because not only will they not have the satellites in their way, but they won't have the atmosphere in their way, and the amount of science and astronomy they'll be able to, get, be able to accomplish will improve immeasurably from what they're trying to do on the ground uh, with big telescopes. Uh, so that's my answer to that, that, that accusation. As we look to the future as well, and certainly we've seen with the rover and, and not only those bearing a United States flag, but globally, Mars. And the thought that, you know, whether it's Elon Musk saying that, um, that that's a realistic thing within a lifetime, that of anyone's lifetime that's currently living to, to have humans on Mars, whether it's, uh, you know, the conspiracy theorists that say, well, the elites want to blast out of here and um, get to Mars or Europa <laughs> and live there when, when the world dissolves, uh, the, the Earth dissolves, or whether or not it's a purely scientific uh, endeavor to try to just better understand what's happening outside of our own planet and and lunar uh, realm. How realistic it's is neither. Mars? There? It's neither. It's that's, a, it's, it, that's one of those, once again, straw man arguments. They, oh, it's only for the billionaires to escape the Earth, or it's only for science. Mm -hmm. it, Elon Musk's actual proposal with Starship Super Heavy is to make getting into space affordable for as many people as possible. Once again, he makes more money if more people can afford it because he sells more tickets. And so he wants to get to Mars and establish a colony there for his own personal reasons, but he's not doing it. Uh, just for himself, he's setting it up so it would be possible for as many others who wish to go to have the opportunity to do so. Um, that's the first thing. And the other thing is planetary exploration right now is moving out beyond just the United States. And you mentioned that with the global effort. Uh, you have the Chinese very successfully in the last decade proving their ability to do unmanned planetary probes to both the moon and Mars as well as to do orbiters around the moon and Mars. And so they are definitely in the game. Uh, they, they create, once again, that competition, uh, which will not only fuel their effort, but fuel ours and others, because now everyone wants to get in the game. Russia, which has not had a successful planetary program from nigh on almost 45 years, uh, is struggling mightily to try to get its planetary program started again. Um, and they hadn't been trying to do that for many, many years, but they're really trying to do that right now. So is Europe, and so are other nations who've never done it before, such as India, and, and India, which has really only just begun to do it, and Japan, who has done it in the past but wants to be a player in this. And so, once again, the competition is a good thing, and yes, many people are coming in on it. They, the planetary probes start out purely, ex they say just pure science, but I look at them also as scouts for human beings to follow. Mm -hmm. So while they might be looking at Mars to try to understand the geology and climate and atmosphere of Mars, um, they're also acting as scouts to teach us where we want to put humans later. And it goes together, uh, because what, we're not doing this only with robots. The robots are a scout so the humans can follow, and so that's what's going on here. The Chinese are laying out their first exploration on Mars with the Zhirong rover, and that's to teach them how to do it, mostly. But at the same time, they're beginning to put their footprint on the ground in an area of Mars where they might want to dominate later in the future, and that makes perfect sense. And the same thing we're doing it in other places, and Elon Musk himself has chosen a location on Mars where he'd like to land Starship. Um, 
because it makes sense and because the rovers and landers have and orbiters have taught us where the good places are on Mars to try to set colonies up in the future. So it's mutual. And it's, it's once again, it's part of this old competitive atmosphere, which I think is just glorious. And it really makes, it makes, makes things happen. And it's, it's not warfare. Competition is, is, in this case, is totally peaceful. People are trying to establish their, their space in space, and that's a good thing. I want to get to your book, but last question on space. The notion of living, well, I guess life forms, in the clouds of Venus is something that has, it's, it's not a new theory, it's something that, it's not a brand new theory, I should say, but it's something I've heard discussed more and more this year, the idea that at some point, whatever, million nope, years ago, nope, nope, the, the nope, answer nope, is no, nope, there are no, nope, there are no life nope, forms in nope, the clouds nope. of Venus. There was one paper, because there was a detection in the atmosphere of Venus of a chemical called phosphine, and on yes. Earth, Phosphine is usually associated with life processes in some manner. You don't find it in, uh, in a, a naturally forming on Earth. So they found a tiny, in the parts per billion amount, maybe in the atmosphere of Venus, and suddenly, and the atmosphere, the scientists said, well, there's a slim chance this might be related to life, but they admitted this is unlikely. The press went wild. Life found on Venus. It's a total <laughs> lie. On my website, Behind the Black, I immediately pointed out this is not discovery of life on Venus. In fact, it doesn't prove anything of the kind. Venus's atmosphere is extremely alien and extremely hostile to life. You've got sulfuric acid. It's, you know, in 900 degrees Fahrenheit, the pressure is, de- is, 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 is greater than you find sometimes in the deep spots of our ocean. Um, it's a very alien place. So you find a little bit of phosphine there. That doesn't mean you found life. That means you found phosphine. There could be plenty of chemical processes on such an alien place that could produce it. And to say this is the finding of life was just uh, malfeasance by the American press when they played that game. And it's been quickly been dis- debunked by most scientists who said, no, nah, no, nah, that's, that's not the case. You, no you heard it here. Keep looking uh, and, and keep waiting for that moment because it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> basically yeah well then we might find life down the road on another planet but that's not not it hasn't been even close yet at this point let's not talk close let's talk about your book which is uh, is out i believe it's available now it was on your website it looks like it's 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 readily available yeah, it's been available Amazon. since july okay. uh, the book is called conscious choice the origins of slavery in america and why it matters today and for our future in outer space Hmm, fascinating. And what I, you know, I, I write space histories, and I know how to write good books that are really easy to read. And uh, but I, I, I wanted, I'm interested in space exploration. And when we start colonizing other worlds, we're going to be building new societies on those other worlds. And so this is years ago. I decided. Let me look back at the uh, British colonies in North America, the original colonies established in the United States, because the British formed a whole different range of 13 different colonies. Each was a kind of experiment at how one builds a new society in the wilderness. And some succeeded gloriously, and some failed miserably. And so I focused specifically on the failure of Virginia, because British, col- British colonies, the British society did not have slavery, and was, a ho- was, a, was hostile to the idea of slavery. And yet, in Virginia, that colony in the New World s- became a place where slavery prospered, and I wanted to find out why. And the result is a book that not only answers the question about the early origins of uh, the American culture, but it also tells, t- tells us what 
we should and should not do when we build new societies on other worlds. And so that's why I wrote the book. And so it actually does answer a lot of questions that politically today are somewhat important because a lot of people are making the false claim that the United States was built entirely around the concept of slavery. And that's an utter lie. It's an utter lie. It's actually any historian who knows their facts will, will look at that and say that's absurd. Um, so this book tells the, 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 the real history. And I, I, trust me, I'm a good historian. I went back and looked at every original source material that is available for early Virginia. And I went through the first hundred years of Virginia's history to try to understand why it took a hundred years. So yes, my book is available. It's available on my website, Conscious Choice. It's also available on all the standard vendors like Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, etc., etc. Bob Zimmerman, Behind the Black, always one of the uh, leading voices in this, well, I was going to say in this space, but we'll say in the area of space, um, one of the top journalists in the country, and um, always a pleasure to have you on here on Bartholomew Town. It's, it's, it's my pleasure, Bill. Anytime. Give me a call. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast.